Welcome to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Today we will hear from lead pastor Dave Carroll as he teaches a message titled, Seeing My Marriage as Jesus Sees Us. Let's join in now. To see our marriages as Jesus sees us. It's so difficult to see ourselves like Jesus sees it, isn't it? Isn't it? It's just, it's incredibly hard because when we look in the mirror, we see all kinds of things. We see our past. We see our spots uh, we, we see the good things we've done. We've, we see the secret parts that no one else sees. But when Jesus sees our marriage, he sees something very different than what we often think of. And today in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going we're gonna to look at how Jesus sees us uh, as married people. Now, I, I know that every time you do a marriage message, single people or people who are divorced or people who are struggling kind of go, oh, man. Does it really have to be this message? Is it really going to apply to me today? And uh, I, I can promise you that it will. And I, I, th- I found a good picture. You know, if we're talking about how Jesus sees marriage, I found a good picture uh, at how the world sees marriage. Check this out. That's kind of what it looks like. It's like a video game, right? Game over is what people look at it. Uh, single people today, especially in their 20s, have seen the divorce of their parents have seen the difficulty in their family, and they view marriage as game over, right? Hey, I don't know if I want that because if I get married, it's just the start of problems. My life as I know it and want it is done. It's not, it's not how Jesus sees it. Divorce people, you've experienced game over. And you, you see this phrase and you think, yeah, I don't know if there's any life after what's happened to me. I don't know if it exists. Well, I want to tell you today, it does the way Jesus sees you. There's life after your struggle. Some of you are disillusioned. Maybe you're at the beginning or in the middle, and, and, and you think everything's fine, but under the surface there's an issue, and the game is, might be over, but you, you might not see it coming. God's word has something for you today. You might be happily married, but experience the pain of game over with your children. You know, looking and seeing, uh, seeing some, some things just crumble around you. Or you might be a kid in the room. You might be a teenager in the room who's felt the game over of your parents' divorce. But here's what I can tell you today. Jesus sees your marriage as something beautiful. He sees it as something worth working on, worth your time. This is how Jesus sees us. And so I want to come in and work on our viewpoint today. Now, there's going to be some action steps and some takeaways. But today, I want us to change how we see the idea of a man and a wife spending life together under God's marriage covenant. Now, as we come into Ephesians, I want to encourage you, if you're uh, new to the Bible or maybe you haven't read it in a while during the week, I would encourage you to pick the book of Ephesians up. It's a great book. It's about our identity in Christ. And what's going on in Ephesians in the beginning, he's talking about the resource we have in our identity in Christ. In other words, the anatomy of our salvation, grace, faith, righteousness, the fact that um, once a person um, comes to know Christ, they're sealed with the Holy Spirit, which means that it's kind of like a king's uh, stamp 
on the heart of a person and for the only way for your salvation to not be good anymore is for God to step off the throne. That's in Ephesians 1. And, and so he talks about our resource, but then he moves on in this identity and, and how all the nuts and bolts of salvation and how we come to know Jesus uh, starts to form into the church and the church serves each other and, and does life together and use their spiritual gifts to encourage one another. It's good when the church does that, isn't it? To be a part of a church that's trying not to be perfect because that's not possible. I know especially for this one, I'm at the helm, okay? But that's really working and trying to build each other up. But then he narrows it back down, you know. It it gets real big and broad with the church. And then Ephesians comes back in chapter 4 and 5. And it gets really narrow about godly living. And then Paul, the author of Ephesians writing to the church of Ephesus, lands on this passage about marriage. Right in the middle of what it looks like for an individual to live for Jesus, he addresses the subject of a man and wife. And so here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. We're going to read all the way through verse 33. But uh, many of you have had this, this passage read at your wedding or if you've renewed vows or if you've looked at passages on marriage. And I want you to look past something today. There's a bunch of things like uh, wives submit, guys do this, you know, guys love like Christ. I, I want you to kind of push this aside, those things aside for a second and focus your attention as we read on how Jesus sees his church, okay? Focus when we read, think about the church side of this because this is crucial to seeing our marriage as Jesus sees us. So here we go. Ready? One, two, three. You don't have to read it aloud, but here we go. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Now, here's the parts I want you to focus on. If you have a a pen, you may want to underline this in your Bible. As also, Christ is the what? Head of the church. Oh, okay. This is giving us insight into how Jesus sees our marriage. Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Verse 24 says, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. Here's the next thing. If you have a pen, underline this. Just as Christ also, what did he do there? What's the verb? He loved the church. And what's the next verb? And he what? gave himself for her, that he might, what's that word? Sanctify, which we'll talk about in in a little while, and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy, and underline this part, without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but, underline this, nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two, underline this, the two shall become how many? One. The two shall become one flesh. Verse 32 unlocks the whole passage about marriage here. This is a very, very important verse to understand what what Paul was talking about. It says, this is a great mystery. And there's a lot of guys in the room that will give a big amen at this point in time. This is a great mystery. How many of you have figured out 
ladies yet. Guys, don't raise your hand. You're a liar. Okay. <laughs> but this is what he said. Here's the mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see, the point of the passage is for us to understand Christ and the church. Then we start to understand marriage. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Here are your hashtags today. Number one, I must see my marriage as Jesus sees his church. You see, a poor view of the church, an apathetic view of the church separates you from seeing marriage the way God sees marriage. If you see uh, the relationship between Jesus and his church, you're going to find six elements. I'm going to give them to you right now. And these were elements that we find here in the passage of Scripture. Here's what's going on in the relationship between Jesus and his church. And when we turn the, when we turn the corner into our marriages, we're going to go, oh, oh, okay, now I get it. This relationship is a place of number one, order. You saw a a head. You saw someone who was um, submissive. But the key word here is that there there was order in verse 23. You know, uh, there are lots of houses that are functioning because the money makes it okay or the kids make good enough grades in school. But uh, I, I find many times when someone comes in, for marriage counseling or even premarital counseling, the number one thing that's lacking in the house is order. Isn't it good to have order in your life? Isn't it good to walk into a place, not just your marriage, but anywhere and know what's happening? You, you get to see, oh, I, you know what? I know exactly what my wife needs me to do today. I know how to serve her. I know exactly what my kids are doing, and I haven't abdicated that to my wife. There's an order about it, and here's the good thing about order, and this is why Jesus brings order, because where there's order, there is always peace. You get that? Where there's order, there is always peace. If your household needs some peace, start with ordering it. The second thing that we see is it's a place of love. A place of love. It's a place of great sacrifice. How did Jesus sacrifice for the church? He, put, he, he allowed nails to be in his hands and feet. He bled. He even died. He lost his own breath. He, he sacrificed to the point there was no more to give. And the Bible calls this love. And what did he do for the church? He loved the church so much that he would continually give. It's hard to give, isn't it? It's really hard to give, especially when you know the person and you've already given a lot as it is. When you think you've already given enough, look at Jesus and his relationship with the church and look at your spouse and think, no, I haven't given everything yet. I haven't given it all. It's a place of order, a place of love, a place of giving. I separated this out even though love and giving go hand in hand here in the scripture. He gave Everything, but here, here's a key part uh, that is there with Jesus. How much has Jesus withheld from his church? He has withheld nothing, nothing. He has fully revealed himself and his word to his church. Do you know that there are no secret parts? That's what we find in verse 25, that there are no secret parts. Jesus laid out everything, and let me ask you a question. Where are the secret parts of your marriage 
that your spouse doesn't know about? Where's, where's the secret part, the part where you're a little dis- disgusted, a little disturbed? Maybe it's hard to deal with because if you tell the truth, there will be a consequence. You see, these are the areas that will strengthen your marriage. Why do I know this? Because when Jesus gave it all and left no hidden parts, look what happened to the church. We're 2,000 years later and the church is still going. The church is still strong, even with all the problems. It's this giving of everything, leaving no hidden parts that allowed Jesus and his church to continue forward and God to continue to, to have his purpose in the life of the church in the same way in your marriage. Now check this out. We'll, we'll get down to some practical stuff. You're going to want to hear this. And some of us, as we go through these, are going, oh, I made a mistake. And you're thinking, but, but don't worry about that. Don't get caught up in that yet. Learn the church. Learn the church first. Focus in. The next is re- refinement. Look at verse 26 and ver- verse 27. I love the whole purpose of Christ and his church is that he's trying to get through so that the church can be without what? Blemish, blemish. Now, I'm not talking about mascara, right? Not talking about painting the barn, you know. No, we're talking about in here, inside, to be without blemish. But here's, here's the deal. When Jesus perfects his church, when, if we all begin to look more and more like Jesus every day, when Jesus returns, there's going to be how many people that are perfected? Two, Christ and the bride of Christ, the church. And can you imagine what that relationship looks like when refinement is in order? Have you ever drank water that didn't taste very good? And then you put it through that same water, you put it through a filter, and it tastes sweet, and it's good, and it's drinkable. It's the same way with Jesus and his church. He's trying to refine us, to look more like him, to be without a blemish. How does he accomplish that? By washing us. With his word, it's like rain falling down over top of us. And you know what, sometimes, here's the cool thing about God's word. Even when um, I get boring, okay, and even when you get a little sleepy during a sermon, when the word of God is coming over top of you, even if you think, I'm not sure if that message, uh, and, and you know what, I'm a pastor and, and I've come to the point in my life where I'm trying to be real, where not every message like hits everybody every week, okay. Whew, I got that out. But here's the good news. When God's word is washing over top of you, there is a change that takes place inside of you that refines you. In your marriage, you should be working toward refinement. Instead of the attitude of, well, they're just going to love me how I am because that's who I am and I'm not changing. No, no. There needs to be an attitude of, God, I surrender. You can do anything you want to me. And as both of you are being refined, can you imagine a day where both a husband and a wife are on the same page? A person who's single in here, can you imagine a day where you're spending your singleness and refinement looking more like Jesus so that when you get married one day, you walk into a marriage looking for someone who's equally refined and you go forward in Christ? What a beautiful thing. Verse 29 tells us about expectation. Here's here's what Jesus sees as the church. It's a place of expectation. In other words, they're on the same team. They nourish and cherish each other. I mean, when is the last time you've set the goal for seven days, like Sunday through Saturday, where you will walk home every single day with a smile on your face no matter what happened, or you will receive your spouse if you're the one home and he or she's the one coming in, and you're going, I can't wait to spend time with my wife. 
I can't wait to spend time with my husband. You see, there's a nourishment that takes place in expectation. When the expectation rises, relationship galvanizes and gets closer. And you see, there with the church, Jesus, even though it seems like a long time for us, he's like, can't wait for his return. There's a day where the bridegroom is coming for the bride, and that's called the return of Christ. We, we see the book in Revelation. And, and And Jesus waits expectantly. We're to wait as the church expectantly. But here he gives that picture in marriage. And there needs to be expectation, uh, not expectation, yes, expectation in our marriage. Where we begin to anticipate the return of our spouse, even on a daily basis. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time that expectation has come into play where you've nourished each other and, and, and you've, you've cherished each other and you've made it a big deal to be together. This is what happens in the church. And when we get that picture, we carry it over to our marriage and boom, health begins to happen. And the last thing we see is oneness. There in verse 31, it says the two, say it with me, shall become how many? One flesh. Oneness. Marriage. Ultimately, when it follows this track of order, love, giving, refinement, expectation, it it culminates in this big pinnacle of oneness where it's inseparable. But here's the truth. Some of us have been separated, haven't we? There's been distance, knowingly or unknowingly. But here's the good news today. Jesus can heal that. Do you believe that? That Jesus can heal any part that's broken. I remember uh, fishing with my dad, and I've often thought that marriage is a lot like fishing. (laughs) You know, you get the fish on the hook, and you're trying to reel it in until it dies, right? You're you're trying to get all the way until death, right there. But, But fishing, you know, the fish is on the lure, and then there's things, there's like rocks on the bottom, and there's sticks, and there's trees, and there's stuff, and you're trying to reel it in, and and sometimes the fish falls off the hook, Right? I remember uh, fishing with my dad in the Everglades down at the very southern tip of Florida. We, we would go all the time when I was younger. And one of the places that we would camp and fish for multiple days uh, had, there was this, had this corner with a big stick that stuck out of the ground for years and years and years and years. As a matter of fact, I don't think it ever even went away, even after all the hurricanes. And uh, I would always ask my dad, Dad, can, can we go fish near the stick? Why did I want to do that? Because nearly every time we fished with the stick, we got a hit. There was something big down there. Well, here's what I came to find out. I could throw the rod over there, and I could hook a fish. But if I didn't listen to my dad coach me through, I lost that fish every time. I did. The times I listened to my dad, hey, set the hook. Hey, make sure you pull right now. Hey, make sure you jerk that thing away from the stick. I would reel it in. But when I didn't listen to my dad, it just swam away. And many times in marriage, it's the same way. If we'll just listen to our Father, if we'll listen to the order, the love, the giving, the refinement, the expectation, the oneness, if we'll listen to these things and put them in our marriage and, and, and reel it in like he wants us to reel it in, we're able to go till death does us part. So that's a challenge, but here's what I want you to know today. There were two times in Scripture that Jesus encountered married people that are kind of high prominence. 
fact, he bookended his ministry with it. One is in John chapter 2, and that's where we're going to start. You don't have to turn there, and it's there in your program if if you want to follow along. But in John chapter 2, Jesus started his miracles. He started his ministry at a wedding. Do I think that was a coincidence? No. I think Jesus was there, and he wanted to ordain that marriage was a good thing. But here's what's happening. Jesus is down uh, just north of the Dead Sea, right on the top of the Dead Sea. If you get, like, your map mind on and go over to Israel, that big, long Dead Sea, or the Salt Sea it's called, he's right there, and he gets baptized. He asks a few people to follow him, right, the first disciples. And the very first thing he does is he says, hey, I want to take a 50-mile walk. Now, imagine if you had to follow Jesus, like you raise your hand to become a Christian, you pray a prayer, you do whatever, uh, you, you, you uh, give your life to Christ, and then... Uh, on the second part of that is now you have to walk 50 miles. <laughs> That's what happened to the disciples. He walks them up 50 miles just to the west of the Sea of Galilee to this place called Cana. And in Cana there was a wedding that his mom made him go to. Has anyone's mom ever made them attend a wedding? Yeah. I, you can relate with Jesus right about now. Uh, and so uh, not only does his mom ask him to attend this wedding, you know, you kind of get the picture from reading it. That's why he showed up. But his, when he gets there, mom knows something about Jesus that most people haven't figured out now. They're like, that boy is kind of special. He, he could do some things that other children just can't do. Now, I know everybody thinks that about their kid, right, that my kid is special. But, but I think out of anyone, Mary was actually right. You know what I'm saying? And, and she says, uh, hey, son, come over here. I need you to do something. And, and I could just see it now where he's going, oh, mom. You know, so if you had tension with your family at your wedding, don't feel bad because I think Jesus had it the first time he attended one. And so if he had some tension, we can have a little tension. But uh, she says, hey, you need to fill up some more wine for these people because the wine's run out. And, and, and this wedding situation in the, Jewish, uh, in the Jewish culture, this was a bad thing that happened. The wine had run out. So Jesus goes to six barrels that hold 20 to 30 gallons of water each. And he tells the servants, hey, just go ahead and dip the cup in there, and then what do you think comes out? Wine. 150 to 180 gallons of wine. Yay, Jesus, right? Yeah, right? Everybody's like, amen, that's like the most encouraging thing I've ever heard in church, right? Jesus, 150 to 180 gallons of wine. Well, that's not the point, so let's move on. But here's what happens at this wedding. Look at John chapter 2, verse 11. It says this. This miraculous sign, turning the water into wine at Cana in Galilee, was the first time that Jesus revealed his what? His glory. And his disciples did what? Believed in him. At the wedding, after a 50-mile walk, here's your hashtag. You don't just see your marriage as Jesus sees it, but this is how Jesus sees it and how you and I need to look at our relationships. Hear me on this. Hear me hurting person. Hear me person who's really hacked off at something your spouse has done or, or someone who you've dated in the past has done and hurt you and left you for dead. Hear me. You have to see your marriage as a miraculous place. The place where Jesus wants to do a miracle that is beyond our imagination. If he can do it at the wedding, he can do it in the marriage, can he? 
He can perform the miracles that we need uh, for, for you person who, who, who's made it further in life, but you're looking around and you're seeing younger friends and family and everything just fall apart. Jesus wants to do a miracle, not only at the wedding day, but he wants to do a miracle in our marriages and in through us. You see, and when in Christ, your marriage, here's a blank, write it down, your marriage can become a place of healing, satisfaction, and this is going to surprise some of us, it can become a place of plenty, a well that doesn't run dry, a place that you love to go to in expectation because there's always something there for you as well as your spouse. Can you imagine that kind of place? But here's the, here's the news that you need to understand. Sometimes we try and try and try and try, but Jesus sees our marriages as a place where the miraculous can happen and we never decide to look at our marriage that way. We look at it as a place of a battleground, a war ground that can never be repaired where only death lies on the ground. But that's not what Jesus has in mind for our marriage. Why do I know this? Because who is the church made up of? If we're supposed to see our marriage as Jesus sees the church, the church is made up of people who were what in their transgressions? What does it say in Ephesians 2? They were dead in their transgressions. And they were made alive in Christ. You see, there's a miracle with Jesus and his church. And that same miracle can happen in marriage where what feels dead or feels off or, or feels like it can never happen because no one would ever love me. God can make it alive. Isn't that a great thing? He can do it, and he will do it. But here's how we have to understand the miraculous place. You see, write this down. Jesus saved me from my sin. Does everyone believe that in the room today? Jesus saved me from my sin. But here's the mistake we made. We make the mistake of believing that we think Jesus died to save our marriages. Have you ever read a scripture that said that? I have never read a scripture that has said Jesus died to save my marriage. I've never read a scripture that said Jesus died to save my addiction. What it does say is he died to pay the penalty for my what? For my sin. And so follow me on this. Here's what happens. And this is why sometimes we try church and hope it heals stuff like our marriage doesn't work. We walk away. We accept the free gift of salvation where we receive forgiveness by grace through faith. But we're hoping that that same decision will just be a magic pill for every part of life. And much like in Ephesians chapter 5, and even if you follow back into chapter 4, the whole point that Paul is trying to make is you've been saved by grace through faith. Now walk in it. And that's the part we miss. You see, we're hoping that, yeah, if I give my life to Christ, everything's going to, there's going to be a, an upward trend on that graph, you know. It's going to start to get better. I know it will because I did this. I made this decision. Uh, you know, I, I've given it all to Jesus. And then we kind of get a little discouraged when the same old, same old happens, right? And we go, I wonder if that stuff really works. Well, here's the truth. It always works. Christ's work on the cross can never fail. But see, where we miss is the second part. Jesus saved me from my sin, but he lives in me 
to help me look more like him. And that's the part where we miss, where husbands and wives begin to look more like that relationship of the church and Jesus where there's refinement happening, where we're starting to pursue holiness, where that big Bible word sanctification, right, all the occasions that get us all, uh, get us all confused, those start happening. We look more like Jesus. But here, here's what I want you to know, and here's why I'm talking about this. Don't stop at your salvation. It could be the worst thing for your marriage. Thinking that you did it, yeah, wife's happy, husband's happy, whatever it is. Maybe, maybe you, you're saved and you're hoping, wow, if I do this, God will give me a spouse. Or maybe he'll restore my spouse. Don't stop at that. Our number one job is to begin to look like Jesus more and more and to trust him with the results. And when we do that, that's where the miracle happens. Isn't that a great thing? That Jesus is in the miracles and into our marriage. And there's this great big miracle in our walk with God. And here's, here's your last hashtag. Um, we see our marriage as Jesus sees the church. We see it as a miraculous place. And then here's the last one. Guys, can I get an amen on this? As a place to wrestle. Right? Hey, not that kind of wrestle. You know, I think that Many times we think a good marriage is a perfect marriage. We have that in our mind. You know, sometimes we come, I've, I've sat in church before and looked up at a pastor and thought, you know what, they probably have a much uh, better marriage. You know, when they fight, they probably just whisper and hug and kiss five minutes after or something like that, you know. But that's not what goes on. Life is real and there's struggle and there's wrestling and, and there's these challenges. And it's, it's no different with Christ and his church. You know, there's some challenges, right? Do you ever give God a hard time? I know I do. And there's that tension between the bridegroom and the bride spiritually with Jesus and his church. There's also tension that's very healthy in our marriage that we need to wrestle with. You know, one of uh, my favorite scenes in WWE, Worldwide Wrestling, right? I don't watch it a lot, but when I do, this is the scene that I love to watch the most. Now, I have a favorite part of every sport, okay? My favorite, sport, uh, my favorite play in all of sports is in baseball. It's where um, the inning before a pitcher beans uh, the, the other team's best hitter, like just hits him in the back. And my favorite play comes the next uh, half of the inning where the, next, the other team's best batter has to step in the batter's box. And everyone in the park, there can be 50,000 people, everyone knows that the batter's going to get hit. You know what I'm saying? And it's like his job is like he has to step in this box and go, ugh, I think that's great. But in wrestling, I just, I just happen to like that. It amuses me. You know what I'm thinking? Like, there's no other sport like that, like, where you have to step in front of, like, somebody chunking a baseball 100 miles an hour at you. It's just a wonderful thing. But in wrestling, my favorite thing, I might have done that before, too, as a, as a team. Um, you know, it's like, it's, it's like, can I just walk to first base and not get hit by the ball? Does that, you know what I'm saying? But in wrestling, I always love it. When there's a guy who loves to come up to the ring and talk smack to someone who's in the ring, but they won't get in it. You know what I'm saying? They walk up and you see this finger pointing and they've scripted it beautifully. And the person up front is just saying, come on, get in the ring. Stop talking. Get up here. Well, marriage is a place to wrestle. And too often what happens with husbands and wives is that there's somebody in the ring who is fighting for the marriage. And there's somebody outside of it hurling things into the ring, but won't step in. You know, if you're going to see your marriage as Jesus sees your marriage, you have to look at it as a place to wrestle. 
Because when you wrestle with the right things, when you wrestle with order, peace results. When you wrestle with love, there's some longevity that happens. When you wrestle with giving, you find that there's plenty. When you wrestle with refinement and looking more like Jesus, you find that there's a character built in your marriage that is unbreakable and, and on and on. But we have to get in the ring and wrestle. And here's what happened in the word of God back in Matthew chapter 27. Here's the uh, other place where Jesus encountered a married couple. And it was right before he went to the cross with Pilate, right? Uh, he's there. He had two trials. Those of you who are new to the Bible or haven't, didn't know this, Jesus actually had two trials uh, before he went to the cross. There was a religious one that he had to go before the chief priest. But there was a second trial that happened where he had to go before the Roman government. And so he goes before the Roman government. And at this trial, Pilate is dumbfounded. He can find nothing wrong with Jesus. But yet there's this pressure from the outside. The crowd is chanting, we want Barabbas, right? We want someone else. Let's kill Jesus and free this criminal. Let's get rid of him. And in the middle of all this, guess what happens? His wife shows up. Guys, have you ever had that happen before? Where the, where the wise words of your wife come? Look at Matthew chapter 27, verses 19 through 21. It says, then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. <laughs> Guys, we got to listen. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. But meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, well, which of these two do you want me to release to you? See, Pilate encountered Jesus, and he wouldn't get in the ring. He backed away. And I believe that if our marriages are going to be all God wants us to be, if we're going to view them how Jesus views them, men and women, we have to get in the ring and do the hard work, do the, the difficult, excruciating work of looking more like the relationship between Jesus and his church. It's not easy, is it? It's hard to do. But we have to wrestle. Even when we get body slammed and you don't want to get back up, you have to wrestle. You have to get in the game. Here's your next blank. Stop doing nothing. Start praying. When's the last time you've prayed together with your spouse? Start talking about the right things. Maybe you need to go up to that list of six things and how Jesus sees his church and say, you know what, for the next six days this week, we're going to talk about order. How is the order going in our house? Talk about love, talk about giving, talk about refinement. How are we both starting to look more like Jesus? Expectation and oneness. Some of you need to start believing some of you think that your life is over, that God has no more plans for you because something has exploded in your relationship. Maybe today you need to walk out and you need to say, I believe that Jesus can do a miracle here in my situation. He can restore what's lost. He can make it like we're giddy teenagers again going out on Friday night. He can do it. 
Or maybe you really need to start getting in the ring and working on your marriage. You know, many times, if our business fails, we'll work on it, right? If our financial ledger says minus whatever, we'll go, whoa, hey, I'll look, I'll look there. But rarely do we ever stop and look at our marriage and wonder how is it going with the kids. Hey, how are the household responsibilities going? We got to wrestle with it. And today, I want to give you a chance to start doing something and to stop doing nothing. God impressed on my heart as we put this message together that we would start with prayer. Do you know, I know that every marriage, here's the truth, every marriage needs a miracle in it. There's not one that doesn't need a miracle. Every single person needs a miracle to happen because you know what? You get, you get with the wrong person and life falls apart. Past our mistakes, but it starts with, by getting on our knees and asking God to do something big and miraculous. And I want to invite the team up. And today I want to give you a chance to come forward and to pray together with your spouse. And you may go, I don't know if I could do that, Dave. Hey, I can tell you step one of getting in the ring is you got to fight on your knees. And so in just a minute, I'm going to invite you married people who need to get in the ring together, a chance to do that right here and right now, prayer. And and it's not an embarrassing thing. You want to know what? If Amy was here, we'd be here because there are places in our marriage where we need miracles to happen. Maybe today you're a person who's single or divorced, and you're wondering how the future is going to happen. You come by yourself and you get on your knees, and even if there's no one to wrestle with in the ring right now, That's a big lie if you believe that because God is there in the ring with you and he wants to wrestle with you. That's who Jesus is. And so I invite you to come right now and let's let's bow before the Lord. I want to give you a chance to pray with your spouse, to pray for your future spouse, maybe to pray for someone who's hurt you, that God would reconcile. This is a time for us to do that. I invite you to stand right now, if we could all stand, and you come. And after we're done with the time of prayer, I want to pray for the marriages in the room. If your marriage is cracking, pray that God would make you one again. Maybe their order has been lost. Pray that God would give you order. Maybe you've stopped loving each other. Pray that God would give you his love. Pray that you would see your marriage as Jesus sees your marriage. You have that time right now to do it. For those of you who are in the room today too, apart from marriage, the biggest miracle that can happen is when you're dead in your sin, but you're made alive in Christ by his work on the cross. Today, maybe you came without that relationship intact. And the Bible says that if you'll believe on the name of Jesus, that he truly is God and that his work on the cross covers your sin, and that you're a sinner in need of his grace, the Bible says you can be saved, and that you turn and repent and walk in it. 
today, maybe you need to do that. You can write it on a connection card as they're praying up here. Or maybe you need to follow Christ in baptism or you, you're interested in joining the church. You could do that. Let me pray for those who are up here right now. God, we know that life can be very, very, very difficult. God, there are many twists and turns. Lord, we get blindsided. Lord, people who we love and we think love us, Lord, can hurt us. God, we know that so many times marriages are stuck in neutral because we see our marriage as a place of pain or a place of disappointment. But instead, God, would you allow us to see our relationships in the context of marriage like you see them. God, I thank you how you never give up on your church. Lord, your love is never failing. God, I thank you that even when we were warring against you, even when we were wronging you, you still love us. God, I thank you that with you and your church, there's unbelievable amounts of forgiveness for the things that we've done. God, I pray that same forgiveness would rule and reign in the hearts of our marriages. God, I thank you that you give a great promise of heaven. And God, I pray that today you would renew the fires of a future in you and each marriage in this room. God, I pray for the single person who's trying to discern whether a person's right. Lord, I pray that you would give uh, them godly spouses. God, I pray for people who are considering marriage. God, would you, would you restore them in their view of you and your, their, your view of marriage? And Father, would you allow them to come under your covenant? God, more than anything else today, I pray that this prayer time would be the beginning of getting in the ring. God, the beginning of of being strong in you, Lord, of working through difficulty. Lord, I thank you that in every single time we come to you, Lord, there is grace and mercy at the foot of the cross. And so, Lord, would you restore today? Would you reconcile? Lord, would you bring joy in the darkest of situations? Father, would you give purpose to the ones who have been fine but yet have sat doing nothing with the good marriage that they have. God, use them to impact the people around them. Lord, we believe today, just like in Cana, that day where you walked in on a wedding and had your mom make a request. God, we believe that you can do the miraculous in our marriages. God, and we trust you for that, and we live for you. Lord, knowing that you can change us and refine us and renew us and help us to look more like you. So, God, we pray these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Hey, amen. Hey, if you need prayer after church today, we would love to talk to you. Can we praise the Lord for his work in our lives? Hey, God is at work, and I believe that there's, he's the God of miracles. You may be seated. Well, hey, I want to encourage you, if you need help with your marriage, you write it on the connection card. Uh, We would love to have someone, uh, Pastor Fred or myself, uh, give you a phone call and help you through any difficulties that are happening. I want to tell you something. Uh, The difference between, I love this quote, I heard it once as we finish, and and I'll I'll probably say it a hundred more times over the life of Elevation Church. 
The difference between successful marriages and marriages that fail are not problems. They are the attitude with, with which the couple deals with the problems. You hear that? So if you have a problem in your marriage, congratulations. You're like everybody else in the room. But today we can have the attitude like Christ loves his church. teaching ministry of Elevation Church. You can find out more about our church or listen to other messages at elevationbuildings.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.